Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. Okay, my guest today is a freelance location sound mixer based out of Los Angeles, California. Please welcome Stu Chacon. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you, Stu. All right. Well, before we really get started, tell us what's your life looking like right now with the COVID-19 situation? Well, it's it's been a little crazy, and I think everybody you know worldwide is is getting used to the idea of not being able to live life, you know, as as usual as is what the norm is for everybody. Um, you know, we're all stuck at home and not really, you know, just trying to figure out what to do and how to stay sane. Really, you know, I think it's a, it's a it's an actual serious issue to think about and try to cope with, but. You know, I think uh, as creatives and as people that are that work in, in the industry that we work in, I think we all try to figure out ways to stay creative. So, you know, I've, I've been working on music and just trying to, you know, read up on, on the technology that we use um, and just reading manuals and trying to, you know, just stay as prepared as I can so that when we get back on set, we can, you know, just like nothing ever happened. That's good. That's good. Now, do, do you have family? Yeah, I do. I'm a, I have a wife and three children. Uh, so I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a almost well, a nine-month-old at this point. Um, so they actually help me, you know, stay busy. <laughs> so it's it's a good thing. It's it's a, it's fun times. It's actually, you know, I think um, in the the line of work that I do and the type of work that I've done lately, I've I've gotten to travel a lot, so I've been very lucky doing that. Um, so it's actually a welcome change to be home and spend time with the with everyone here so it's a good thing try to stay positive yeah definitely now how how often are you on the road as of late um you know within the past year or so it's about yeah it's about three weeks out of the month that i'm i'm traveling let's jump in and talk a little bit about when you're on location and as a production sound mixer what's in your audio kit so just kind of give us a rundown of your mixer, recorder, preferred mics, and all all the other items you like to use. Yeah, absolutely. So I have uh, two bags that I'm mostly using nowadays. They're both with Sound Devices products. The first, the main bag that I use is a it's it's around a Sound Devices six six four. Um, I use Electrosonics, actually Electrosonics four eleven wireless systems. I use the for microphones for lavalier microphones. I use the Sankin Cos elevens. That's all powered through uh, PSC uh, Triple Play. Yeah, Triple Play BDS. I use, uh, to power it all up, I use the MP1 for that bag, the MP1 style batteries. Um, and then the second bag that I use, it's mostly for interior, for actually for cars, mostly for cars or any kind of backup scenarios that I have to use. That's with the MixPre 6. Um, and with that one, I use a remote audio BDS and it's powered with uh, the smart batteries, also by remote. Yeah, for 
boom mics i use i used the 416 the sennheiser 416 for a very long time um, but recently picked up a sheps cmit 5u um, and also a sennheiser mkh 50 for indoor dialogue all right have you been happy with the smart batteries I actually love them. I prefer them over the MP1. So you know, once this is all over, hopefully I can invest in just strictly smart batteries. Uh, I like the little indicators. They actually last, I feel, a little longer than the MP1s. Um, actually, a lot longer than the MP1s. So it's, uh, and they're much lighter, which, you know, using the main rig that I use with the 411s, it, it can get a little heavy sometimes. So saving, saving the back is, is essential. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, what about timecode? For timecode, I use the Tentacle Sync boxes um, with the Deneke Slate. I think it's the TS3, so it's one of the older ones, but um, it's working and it, it does its job perfectly. Okay. Now, when we first got started talking online, it was probably last year sometime, uh, you were getting ready to go to Africa. So what project was that? That is for a, a show called 90 Day Fiance. It's the other way. It's a different franchise, one of their franchises for that show. And we traveled to Ethiopia. So that was a, it was a great time. It was my first time actually traveling um, out of the country for, for work. And it was, it was a great time. It's a great crew. Um, it's a smaller crew. It's about seven people. It's a reality show. So it's a very fast pace, very, <laughs> very, uh, we, we definitely have to be, I have to be personally as, as the only person in sound um, to to be on the ball and be focused and, and and be a step ahead of what the other departments are are, are doing. What's a day like, you know, on location with that product? It's um, it's essentially well, they're you know twelve plus hour days, so it's a it's a long day. So in the mornings, I usually just prep. Well, you know, the night before, I make sure that all my batteries are charged. Make sure that all the transmitters have new fresh batteries. Um, I use the lithium energizer batteries, which, you know, hopefully soon I can also get you know, going to the rechargeable ones. But the lithiums are great because, you know, I, I use them. It's very minimal changes through the through workday. And so just make sure my gear is all prepped um, and just be ready. Be ready. Check the, the call sheet and make sure that I have a good grasp of what we're going to be doing for that day and, you know, get to it. Okay. What are the locations like? Um, usually that show is, is about following a, a couple. So you just go through their daily life and, and, and make sure that you capture the, what they're doing for that day. It's, it might be different locations, uh, based on, you know, the, the premise of that show specifically is, uh, uh, an American going into a foreign country and just kind of really experiencing life in these other places. So it's definitely also, you know, experiencing those moments with them. And, you know, making sure that your sound is, is as clean and, and great as it could be. Okay. So what's the miking setup usually with those guys? Well, for reality, it's um, it's the usual reality uh, setup for sound. It's, you know, mostly relying on the lavs. When I can, I definitely like to boom as a backup and, you know, just to make sure that everything is, is as clean and good as it could sound. Um, but usually it's the lavs uh, and very fast paced. And sometimes it's it's miking, you know. I've had scenes where it's eleven people, and it's all by myself, and you don't really get a lot of time to mic people. So you know you have to be quick and efficient, and you know sometimes very fast paced. But ultimately, it's always worked out and sounds great. Now, if something goes bad technically on set, what's one of those scenarios like? Usually, I 
try to make sure that I eliminate any kind of <laughs> scenarios where there will be a bad, you know, technical issue on my end. Um, but sometimes you get a channel, you know, you get some RF issues, you, you know, that just happens. And you have to, if, if it's something vital, if it's a scene that was very vital, you kind of have to make the choice. And, you know, you relay the message, you tell the producer or the director, whoever's in, on, on set, and you let them know and, you know, you kind of leave it up to them to decide whether they think it's important to to uh, redo the scene or, or redo that bit, for example. Now, when it comes to coordinating frequencies overseas, what's what's the process for that? Well, since I, I use the 411s, it's, um, you know, just kind of scan. I, I like to scan at every single place that I, every location that we go to right before. Um, sometimes it's a little difficult because you don't know exactly where you're going to go. You just kind of have a general idea of where you're going to go. So it's uh, as soon as you get there, you just scan every channel, depending on how much talent you have on, on screen at that one given moment. And, and you hope that you have a spectrum that's, that's clean. Yeah, in, in different, I guess, different frequencies in Europe that you're dealing with. Well, actually, it's um, it it's definitely the good thing about doing the travel work is that I've noticed the spectrum is a lot cleaner overseas than here in the United States, especially in Los Angeles where I work. There's one particular uh, instance where we were in a, in a country and um, there we did a, a scene in a particular place, and as soon I did a scan as usual. And everything was great, but as soon as I step into the building, it just it was RF nightmare. I had to rely on the boom for that that particular moment. Um, there was just no way that I can get around it. Every single channel just spiked, um, and I was like, "Oh man, what am I gonna do here?" <laughs> but uh, it worked out. Everything worked out. So usually that's that's the case, um, and it's very rare that that'll happen. But you know, it's uh, it's usually cleaner overseas than here in the U.S. You also were working in Amman, Jordan. Was that for the same project? Yeah, it's for the same show. And we got to travel to Jordan and we were there about three weeks. Um, and it was a great place. I loved it. It's it's a good thing that it, I feel very lucky to, to be able to do what I do. I get to experience and immerse myself in different cultures and kind of get a glimpse of how other people live and gives you a better insight into how things work, I think, overall. Okay. So what's a day like for this production? It, it's essentially, you know, you, you get your call sheet the night before, and um, it's usually a morning morning call time at, you know, 8 a.m. or so, depending on what the events that will happen during the day will, will hold. You um, you meet in the lobby of the hotel, where you, wherever it is that you're staying, and then you just you hop in the caravan of vans, and, you know, you go and you mic the, the talent. Once, once I'm there, I mic them up. Sometimes it could be one person or you know two people, and sometimes you have you know like I said ten people that you you'll have to mic in that moment, and sometimes you it feels like you have ten minutes to mic everyone, so <laughs> it can get a little hectic. But um, then you just follow the action. It's essentially it. Okay. How many mics do you usually have in you have live at one time? It's mostly four to six. That, that's the norm. Um, these particular scenes, the bigger scenes, you'll have, you know, 10 people, 11 people. So those, that's a lot of 411s and, you know, a lot of channels that you have to focus on, but it usually, usually works out really great. All right. Now, do you ever have any security issues on set? Uh, no, actually, we've been very lucky. Some of the other crews on the show I've heard have had issues with, 
you know, problems with other people, just trying to really know to try to see what's going on on with with the you know with the crews that are going on because you know in general I think people are curious to see bunch of cameras and you know a sound guy with a big pole and you know (laughs) a furry thing at the end of it so you know people are usually curious to what we're doing but generally it's just they just stare and mind their business so no nothing crazy no no crazy stories here all right you worked on a tv series called hot ones so tell us about that one Hot Ones is a fun show to shoot um (laughs) it's uh the premise of that is essentially you know uh the host of the show will interview a celebrity or some sort of, you know, famous person, and um, they eat uh, increasingly spicier chicken wings, and uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun thing to watch. You know, people have a hard time with with spicy sauce, so <laughs> you can imagine um, the the setup for that show is uh, usually uh, two booms up top, and then you just lob them up and and hit hit record. I think with hot ones, the the challenge of that show is usually um, it's it's pretty a list celebrities sometimes, so you don't really get a lot of time to mic the talent. You know, once they step on set, it's like okay, they're ready, we're ready to go. Mic them up, and you really have to nail the miking at you know the first time and get it right. Um, and that's you know that's a little nerve wracking sometimes, but you just have to trust that you make the the right decisions and you prep before you make sure that you trust your intuitions and know that you're taking the correct route as far as the miking. Okay. Do you have some go-to expendables you like when you're wiring talent in that situation? I think it's, it's a, it just varies based on what you think somebody's going to wear. Um, if it's a female talent, you have to make sure that, you know, I've, I've used the hide a mic bra clips. Um, those have worked really great. Sometimes it's a moleskin sandwich, you know, sometimes it's the, lately I've been using the LMC furry mounts. Those have worked really great. The Ursa mounts make really great. The little smaller mounts are are awesome. So it just depends on, on what the talent is wearing. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, working with, with uh, people and, and not getting a lot of time to mic people, it's, it's hard, but, you know, I think. Generally, you want to have in your kit, you want to have a, a good selection of, of options, which is important. Yeah, I was, I was looking at a couple little uh, teasers, I guess, online, and there was Shia LaBeouf and Will Ferrell and Kristen Bell and things like that. So it looked like a fun, a fun group. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been, been fun. Uh, the, the most recent one was with um, Justin Timberlake, which was fun. So it was, it was, a, it was a good one. Well, what's what's the craziest thing that's happened with them eating this hot, hot food? You know, sometimes you you have the you have the talent just you know really be in shock of how spicy these things are, and they just get up out of their seats and they walk around, and yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's a funny thing to watch their reactions. I've I've actually with the Shia LaBeouf episode, he actually at the very end like splashed milk on his face, and you know it was it was a great time. It was very funny. Now, are you guys getting to sample some of those hot wings after the fact? Well, some of the other guys in the crew, like the camera ops, they they usually do try to sample or they will sample it. I unfortunately will not. Um, I'm not that great with spicy sauce. So I think I would probably struggle with like the first two or (laughs) one of the first, one of the less spicier ones on the show. So I usually don't. You also worked on a show called Out of Bounds, a TV series. So tell us about what is that show all about? 
Out of Bounds was a uh, it's kind of a broadcast style sports show. Uh, it was a daily show that was uh, online. Um, it was with an ex NBA player, Gilbert Arenas. He played for the Wizards mostly, and it was just them talking about basketball and other sports. It was him and and some uh, other co-hosts, and it was a good time. It was a you know about an hour's worth of work. We would just record the shows uh, live to tape, and uh, I used the Yamaha CL5 for that to mix which is a great board. I loved it. And yeah, sports show. All right. And just a typical miking situation there? Yeah, for that, I used, uh, it was uh, the Countryman B6. Um, that's what the, the show went with. I made some suggestions, but that's ultimately what they decided to go with. And, and it was fine. Usually I noticed that Depending on the miking, you know, the B6s, I think, are a little more sensitive. So, you know, some of the some of the hosts on the show would generally get loud. So we just kind of have to make sure that they don't peak or overload. But, yeah, it usually worked out really well. All right. And, and everybody's staying put. There's not a lot of moving around. No, yeah, it was uh, them just sitting, just chatting it up. Yeah, no, no not, not a lot of movement. Okay. Now, I was looking back at your, you started your career as a lead singer of a rock band? <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. So I was a lead singer of a of a death metal band. Um, yeah, it's, it was a, in the early two thousands. Uh, me and some friends got together and just decided to make really loud music. And you know, I was the, the lead singer, so a lot of uh, sounded like Cookie Monster. You know, and <laughs> it was it was a fun time. And that's that's really what got my start with this whole world. Um, we. I kind of took charge and, and well, the drummer and I took charge and started recording our own demos and eventually found our way into a studio. Um, and I fell in love with the process. Now, how did you get from death metal to production sound? <laughs> so after uh, being in the band um, and that kind of fizzled out, I just kind of, you know, questioned life and figured, you know, and wondered what, what I was doing with myself. So just uh, started and with the help of my wife, we've, I, I figured out there was a, a film school that I wanted to attend. So I started the film school um, going into it, thinking that I still wanted to record music in the studios. But I quickly also learned that there's not a lot of money and it's hard, harder to make a living in the, in the music industry, especially nowadays. So I uh, took a class in production sound and uh, actually uh, the final project that uh, I won myself a best of quarter award the instructor for that class, her and I just really gelled and she gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of tips and, and knowledge that she shared with me. And I really kind of fell in love with being on set. And that's kind of what started the path. That was about 2009 or so. I think, you know, being in that school and, and starting out with, you know, the mentality that I wanted to be in the studios, there were two, two professors there, two instructors that one of them is that Ted Greenberg. He was the engineer for like or he worked with Prince um, and some other guys uh, who won a, a Grammy or two. Um, some other guy named Barry Conley. They're, they're both studio guys, but they were really, really important in the beginning for, of my career to kind of teach me all the essentials and, and really uh, teach me what audio is all about as far as like the terms and the, the knowledge, the meat of, of what we do. So they were, they were pretty important. Hmm. Well, out of all the projects you've worked on so far, what has been your favorite? I think my favorite. I've done. I've done a couple shorts. Uh, one of them is called uh, "Till Death." It was a small, you know, indie short. But what was really cool is that I recorded. I mixed it on set, but for post, it went to Skywalker Sound, and uh, that's you know, it, it was a it was a great 
great honor for me to to know and and think about the fact that my sound is being mixed by some of these guys there. So I, I do a little bit of post as well. So it's uh, it's very cool to know that I've had work that was mixed there. Oh, that's nice. All right. So what was your worst onset experience? You don't have to mention any names. You can just uh, tell the tell the situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I will never forget it either. I was uh, doing one show. I, I was prepared. I, I made sure I was using, uh, it was back in 2016, 2017, maybe. I was using an older model of a wireless system. And and I won't say what <laughs> what company it was. You know, I was ready. Everything I scanned, everything was running great. The talent gets there, and it's one of these high-profile talents, um, gets there, and one of the wireless, that older model, just stops working. And we're literally like, they're about to call, you know, action. And I'm like, holy smokes, like, what do I do? So I had to tell them. And luckily, uh, well, the bad thing was that I didn't have uh, a backup. Those were the only two wireless that I had in my bag. And um, luckily, one of the camera operators had a just a road link, I believe it was, um, just another type of wireless. And saved my butt. So never again. I think I, I learned a very important lesson that day to never, if possible, to always have more more equipment with me than than I normally need as a precaution. Well, what's been your biggest technical challenge on set? Doing uh, the Hot Ones episode with uh, Will Farrell, we were also, you know, we usually have couple hours to set up we were doing it and uh, it was like a press style junket type type thing where will was going through each each uh, media outlet and i think we were one of the last ones so i set up i run my frequencies or i do a scan to make sure that all the frequencies are fine and as as he's about to come into the room we i check my frequencies and just it's just very congested so i think in that moment i had to quickly think and not stress out and, and make sure that I do the right thing. So what I ended up doing is I, I had a spare kit in the in my bag and um, just rewired that and it worked out. Uh, going back to the the issues of congestion here in, in uh, LA or, you know, major cities, it's it's a little tough sometimes, but, you know, you have to make it work. So that was, that was a tough technical issue I had. Okay. Now, have you ever forgotten any gear when you were going to set? Fortunately, I have not. I, I usually have a mental list that I go through. You know, I just kind of follow the signal flow and and make sure that I don't I don't forget a specific thing. Um, you know, just kind of think about what I'm going to do and make sure I have everything with me. But no, I've never forgotten anything. You know, it's kind of being diligent about what you're going to do that particular day, so you don't forget something. Yeah. Now, having started in the studio, what did you bring with you when it came to production sound, like, you know, mentality and workflow and, and that type of thing? Definitely, you know, as I said right now, signal flow is a very important thing. You you kind of have to think about what it is that you're doing. You you start with your recorder. And for those that might not know what signal flow is, it's essentially the chain of how your sound, your signal is going to travel to your destination, whether it's, you know, your headphones or your recorder. But, you know, that's, I think, the basis for what we do as as sound mixers and engineers um, is to think about how to get the cleanest sound. And and so definitely, I think uh, production sound is not as creative as working in a studio. And I think you have a background in the studio, so I think you might be able to agree with that. 
what we do as production sound is very technical, I think. So it's, it's definitely trying to figure out, you know, trying to make sure that you're, you're aware of what you're doing, you know, as far as the signal flow and making sure that you're, you're recording the cleanest isolated tracks and, and giving them a great mix for both. All right. Now, if you could go back and tell yourself or give yourself some advice, you know, starting off in your career, what would you tell yourself? When I first started doing this and when I was going through school and, and started working, you know, doing smaller projects, I think I definitely was afraid to make the leap full time to follow this career path. Um, I had a full time job, non non industry related, and I was miserable. It was a you know corporate type retail type job, so it wasn't something I was enjoying. So I think if I were to tell myself is to, what what I would tell myself is to just not be afraid and just make the leap a lot sooner than I did and and do this full time do this sooner um full time I wonder how many production sound mixers went full time this year saying this is going to be their year then this whole like you know quarantine thing freeze of the industry happened and I, I I'm curious it, it's it's a great point um you know and, and to all those guys I think it's just it's scary. You know, I think what we do as a self-employed individuals and, and freelancers, it, it's, uh, you know, you, you have to be hungry and follow and hustle and, you know, just stay committed and it, things will bounce back, you know, I, hopefully sooner than later, but things will bounce back um, and just keep at it and try to figure out your craft and get better at it. And, you know, we'll, we'll there's space for everyone to work and, you know, keep at it. It's the best, best advice, but yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a scary thing to think about, you know, somebody making the big jump to doing it full time and having no work. If, if you could recommend for our listeners, you know, some advice for, you know, getting into production sound, what kind of path would you encourage them to follow? If I were to recommend, or if I were to give uh, some tips to somebody that's starting out and wants to get into this industry is to just, you know, network get on smaller uh, sets, you know, as far as like short independent projects, connect with, you know, people in film schools and really create friendships and connections with DPs and, and grips and some of these other departments. And eventually things will start picking up and you'll get a nice little Rolodex. And, you know, that's how you stay busy. You know, having a great attitude on set is, is key. You might know you might be able to do your job really well, but if people don't like working around you, then you're not going to get a call back. So, so being a good person is is key. Now, uh, how how do you uh, get your next job? Do you use any of the online services? I signed up for a couple, but it's funny enough, I never really got anything out of them. And uh, luckily, I've been very lucky where I can map out future projects that are coming, um, and it's all based on relationships that I've built through the years, whether it's a, it's a producer that's called me back or a DP, but it's just, that's really how I get all my work. It's just referrals and word of mouth. And Instagram actually has gotten me a couple of jobs. So I primarily use that as a kind of a online portfolio for all my work. Well, that's good. Are there, are there any other projects you want to talk about that maybe we haven't discussed? There's a couple, uh, I did a show for A&E called Psychic Kids. It was a one season. That was an interesting show. It was essentially following some kids with psychic abilities um, around, and you know, it was a, it was definitely an interesting time. I usually tend to be skeptical about some of those things, but 
there were some instances where, you know, some things happened and kind of made me think twice about the whole subject. But, you know, ultimately it was a, it was a great time, a great crew, uh, met some great people there that I've, I work with now a lot. So it, it's, that's, that's a highlight. Yeah. I think I would, I would get a little concerned if some kid turned to me and started telling me stuff that, that nobody else knew. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> we're out. We're out of here. <laughs> no, nothing like that happened. But, you know, some things where we would go to, you know, quote unquote, spooky places and, you know, things with uh, places with the ghost activities and whatnot. And some things happen there, you know, different locations where, you know, it just makes you kind of scratch your head and like, how did that happen? You know, or it was fun. What's the best way for people to connect with you online if they want to find out more information about yourself? They can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's S-T-U-C-H-A-C-O-N, Stuchacon, just my name. Um, and I'm usually pretty active on there and try to post as much as I can and, you know, keep it, keep it work-related and fun. So, yeah, that's the best way. All right. Well, I want to say thanks to Stu Chacon for being on the show today. Thank you, Michael. It was fun. And I'd like to say thanks to everyone for listening. If you have questions or would like us to discuss a particular topic, email us at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.